actually the first lockdown I was working I was still working on the book and it was amazing for me just in time it was like uh, yeah everybody suffered with me I've heard a few people say that on the show and, and people who sort of appreciate obviously the the downtime that that it's afforded them and yeah I don't know if that's a sentiment you can necessarily express to people because yeah, you know, yeah. people all over the world are suffering and you're just like this is great I had so much time to write my book I have a studio right near my my house so my home so it was so I could go there every day I could go here to the studio so it was so also it wasn't a pressure on the family you know that uh, we, we were not we were not stuck together for month uh, together in small space i mean i i assume that in in normal circumstances it, it can be difficult to to get things done you know you've just got your you've got your life and everything else and then all of a sudden you're working on this massive book and you kind of have to set everything aside for a certain period well i'm uh, i have uh, kids for for 26 years now so it's uh, i'm over the hill already my, my daughter is 26 and my son is 19 so if anything at this point in your career it's probably maybe easier to find the time i mean you, i guess your your kids would have been fairly young when you wrote your first book yes they were yeah this was then i was very uh concerned about time and it's not that now I have a lot of time but then you know it's different like the working mom you know it's really a big thing how to to have to be because uh, then I, I, I also I didn't leave for my comics so so it, I so I felt I have three careers as a mother as a, as a cartoonist an artist or and as an illustrator so I had to combine these three uh, careers together to and into 24 hours. So yeah, and it was a challenge. But now it's, it's much easier. Do you feel like you live for the comics now? Well, not uh, entirely, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's part of my, now it's part of my, uh, of my salary. Yes, you could call it that. By live for the comics, you mean live on the comics in a certain sense. Well, I say when you know, people ask me if I leave for my comics, I say, okay, let's. What when you say leaving? What do you mean? You can uh, yeah, interpretation of what is what is mean to to make a living. Yeah, you said that early on. You that you weren't living for the comics, and and I you said in such a way that seemed to imply that 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 has changed to a certain extent. No, it changed because I can you know I teach. Uh, I teach. I I teach uh, part time in the Academy of Art in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem. and this is my you know this is like my uh, so I have a salary, and then and then what changed is that I don't have to do my any uh, much uh, illustration work and uh, work with clients. I can pick my clients very and do it really and 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 then dedicate myself to. While I was doing tunnels, I dedicated myself to tunnels. So it wasn't the only thing that I did, but it was the main thing that I did. Every day for a for, for few years. So, and I could, could afford it. So uh, this is uh, the main thing for me. Was illustration kind of a stepping stone for you? I mean, was, was the ultimate goal to make comics? When I uh, started working, I was an illustrator. I was an editorial illustrator. Mostly I was an editorial illustrator. But I was doing comics uh, since, you know, since I was uh, still a student in the Academy of Art. And uh, in uh, my third year, third year, I already had uh, a comic strip in a newspaper. 
and I didn't stop doing comics. Uh, it was a big part of what I was uh, doing uh, in my everyday life. And I don't, and until now, I don't, I don't really separate what I do. I teach, I illustrate, I write children book or illustrate children books sometimes to do a little bit of editorial illustration. And my main thing is doing comics. But everything is like, for me, it's part of the same thing. It's, uh, it's not, it's writing, drawing, uh, even teaching, writing and drawing is also part of, you know, part of the, my profession for me. I don't, uh, so I try not to take things that will uh, make me miserable. Uh, and, and in the last years, I do more and more, you know, what the, most of the projects are my projects, or projects that I initiate and I... Uh, I'm looking at the, the page count right now. I think this is your largest book, so it's, you know, 270 yeah. plus pages. You need to make sure that it's something that you're going to want to devote that much of your life to, that it's something that's going to be keep you engaged throughout the entire process of creating the book. And I got some uh, offer to offers in the past to do comics uh, for other people, for, uh, for publishers, which, you know, with their, their subject, not even with somebody else writing it, but they offered me to do comics about uh, or sometimes people offering the script and I, but if it's not, you know, if it's not really interesting for me that I, because it's, I don't do it because it's so much work, you know, comics to do an illustration that takes me, you know, one day, two days of work, it's something one thing, but to work for years on a book, it must be something that I'm really, you know, I'm really into it. But it's really my thing. I know that, that that obviously there have been a lot of comparisons to Ergé in terms of the aesthetic style, but uh, but I think there's something more, and in, in this book in particular, you know, at the heart of the Tintin books, they're, they're very much these child adventure stories. And you kind of have a, you have a bit of an Ergé, or obviously Spielberg is probably, you know, the, the closest kind of pop cultural example. This adventure underpinning that you've got that that is that that hook that I think will keep you engaged. Yeah, yeah. For me, this is what I you know when I had this idea for the story, which is uh, actually based on uh, on a real story in some way, because I knew I knew this, uh, this guy and his his father when I was in my twenties. I studied with this guy in the academy, and he was looking. It was already after they finished it, but when he was in high school, he and his father were actually digging for the Ark of Covenant uh, illegally in a mountain near Jerusalem. And uh, at the time, it was, um, you know, just funny things that he told me about, you know, his family, like, 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 haha, what a crazy family. And I didn't think about it. But when I, a few years ago, I, uh, I, I, when I re- remember this, uh, this story, Suddenly, I look different, you know, uh, on it. I, 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 I asked myself, why, first I asked myself, why would they do it? You know, why would somebody do such a thing? Because they dig, you know, in the, mount, in the mountain for years. It was really, it's really difficult, <laughs> difficult thing to do. Uh, and, but it also seemed like an, an adventure story, like it can be an adventure developed into an adventure story. And I was looking for a story. I, I was looking for an idea for my next book. And it seems, you know, like a treasure hunt. Of course, I, I love Indiana Jones. And uh, um, I saw these, these movies many times. And uh, and I like to, you know, I, I like to take this uh, 
story that uh, like like in Exit uh, is like like romantic comedy. I mean, Exit was like taking the the, the the structure of a romantic comedy or here like an adventure story, and then putting inside you know all these things that are interested for me. And uh, Hergé was. This time he yeah he was a big influence because I I it seems I know it sounds like something that Tintin would uh, would do so I have in I know that people mm. people uh, I, I heard many times that I'm influenced by Roger and uh, and, I, and I am in style and mostly by his his storytelling and uh, so I have uh, in this book I have some references to to Roger the style I think is more. Close to it, but also you know the fact that everybody wears the same clothes. Even the colors of uh, Nili's uh, Nili's uh, clothes are more or less uh, colors of Tintin. So I was playing a bit uh, with this medium and uh, with this uh, influence of uh, influences of other artists and uh, creating this book. Like I wanted it to be like. Yeah, story. But it, it's interesting to go through that process of feeling like, you know, this father and son, they're on this kind of this absurd quest that it's a silly story to find the, the Ark of the Covenant. And then, I don't know, is, is there a part of you that maybe found something a little more human or, or that was able to kind of connect with that story, I guess, beyond the initial absurdity of doing something like that? I mean, you found this very personal human element to what you initially saw as just being kind of a, a, a silly, absurd quest? Well, first of all, it's a relation, it's a family rela- relationship is always a subject that, uh, of interest for me. It's like, you know, in my, in my, all, all my books, all my stories, all my comics are about, uh, you know, parents, kids, uh, relationship. Uh, and uh, I find uh, the family like a fascinating laboratory for human relationships. Of society in small scale, uh, because it's very similar. Because you don't you don't choose your family, but you also don't choose your culture, or you don't choose where you are born and into what culture and what politics you are born into. You can leave it, but uh, but even if you leave it, you are still you know part of it because you left it because you you rebelled against against it. You know when I started to think about. Why did they do it? Because I knew the family quite well, and uh, they, they, they weren't religious, they weren't uh, mystical people. They were more or less, you know, just a family, a regular family. And I started, so I started reading about and, and, and learning about, about archaeology, which actually also, I, I wasn't, com- I don't think, particularly interested in archaeology before. I started to, to, to study about it and about history, you know, and then I saw that I, I found out that archaeology is connected with so many wonderful things that are interesting for me, like history and, uh, and politics and uh, money and crime, obsession, all kind of... And, uh, and also I understood how... It's not that I didn't know, I wasn't aware of it be- before, but I became more and more aware of how archaeology or how the stories from the past are used in Israel to uh, as a tool, to uh, or as, uh, how Zionist Zionism used archaeology and the Bible and and to justify just justify itself. And again, it wasn't. It's not that I didn't know know about it, but it was interesting to to. 
to look into it and see how it was done and and what was chosen from the stories and and from history and what was what people call uh, uh, called history and and try you know I, I, I was I was uh, I, I was part you know in uh, um, uh, production you can say of, of the Israeli uh, secular uh, education system and we learned the Bible from uh, second year or second year and until you know until you, you, you study it uh, but if you are in secular school so you don't study it like religious studies it's like you're studying it's like part of this culture uh, you study it like in the beginning you know it's a you know, stories it's not Exactly, because you study literature and you study history and then you study the Bible. And what is it exactly? Nobody is really saying what is it. So in the beginning, of course, it's like you no know, fairy tales. And then suddenly around fourth grade, around Exodus, around, you know, when the, when the Hebrew came to Israel and conquered it. And uh, uh, then suddenly it becomes... In your you are taught again. It's very vague. Nobody is saying it, but it's taught like history, like actual history. And at some point, the Bible does is history book. You know, at some point, but in which point? So this is actually what the first thing that I did was uh, was trying to to understand. What archaeologists, what scientists are saying, are telling about our, and I took a course in the university, in the Tel Aviv University, exactly about that, about uh, uh, this, uh, um, Israel Finkelstein, who is uh, Professor Israel Finkelstein, who is one of the most important Israeli archaeologists, and he is like taking the Bible, taking the archaeological archaeological findings, and trying to to see what what is just a story. What is what it might be history, but we don't have any findings to prove it, because you know it's not like you can also say that if you don't have findings, then it wasn't true because you don't know what you didn't find. It just you know what will have happened to what what happened to exist after four thousand years or two thousand years. So and and he's trying to 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 explain you know the findings and to so it was maybe the first time that I. That I really studied the history of my uh, of my people, let's say, uh, you know, from just in a linear way, and not just someone picking for me, ex- you know, these what are the subjects that maybe I have to know in order to make me an a good Israel. Where does the art specifically fit on that continuum for you? You know, obviously, it's something that's described in. Exodus on that kind of spectrum from, as you said, kind of fairy tale to history. Do you get a sense of where specifically this object fits? With no, there's no reason to think that it didn't exist. You know, because not not the mystical powers, but the object itself. It was very common in the ancient world to have this kind of of an artifact that uh, you take to the the battle and it uh, you know it gives uh, you a sense of security and that God is with you and uh, and then it was ordered some to put it in the and then to put it in the temple and to worship it it wasn't you know it's it's it was very common 
you can find it in many in many cultures. It is uh, small temples that you can carry, put it at home or on the way. But uh, so I guess there was something like this. As uh, someone who's a complete atheist, I don't believe it has powers. It had powers, and I also believe it. No one will fi- ever find it because it makes no sense. It was. You know, just an object made of wood, maybe covered with black, with gold. So it's uh, reasonable to think that the gold was taken when <laughs> some, if somebody found it and that it was ruined. Or maybe it was burnt because it was an, an you know, it didn't fit in, even it was, maybe it was even burnt by the, some Israeli, uh, ancient Israeli king because it didn't fit into into the monotheism uh, uh, story because it was, you know, like worshipping an object which was suddenly not allowed. So I guess it's, you won't find it. You said you don't choose your culture. And I think very much entrenched in that, particularly being an Israeli living in Israel, you obviously don't get to choose your geopolitical position in the world either. It's something that that you know that I get the sense living there is 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 just kind of a part of everyday life, and for that reason, it's something that ends up being pervasive in a lot of the the, the work that you do or all of the work that you do. The borders are a big thing here, and it's hard to imagine you know what would happen geopolitically if the Ark of the Covenant was discovered in you know Palestine, for example. It wouldn't change anything. This is, I'm sure. How can it change? It would, it would, like in my book, it would be put into uh, some house or maybe in a museum and people will, uh, maybe someone, something will build around it, like, and people will worship it. But what, what, what does it, no, it's not like God is, is really inside. I also was raised Jewish and also would consider myself agnostic. So I, I, I certainly don't imbue these things with any powers. But what I'm getting at, though, is, is I think something that you were, getting at before and, and are getting at in this book is that the historical ad- artifacts are such an important part to people justifying uh, these different lands. So, you know, what would it mean to the way things are cordoned off if they're discovered in different territories? But it's what, what but how, how can it, can it change? First of all, you'll have to agree that this is, you know, probably if it was found, it wasn't found with a, with a written on it, this is the Ark of Covenant. So you can still could still argue about it, and also uh, yeah, again, like what does it mean? And uh, this is like uh, what, what we argue also. Okay, so someone who had the same story as me of being Jewish, and uh, he, uh, and so he's considered like I'm an ancient father of mine lived here. What? So this is argue argument. Does it give me just does justify me coming here, living here, sending people right from their home, uh, making them leave their home, and uh, because I was here first, it's not me. Somebody else who has the same story as me. What does it does it justify? This is a, this is exactly you know the argument. This is what we are the what's the conflict. If it's it's not like uh, the, the Palestinians say that the uh, uh, that the Bible is fake. The Bible is, is a book. Okay, so, you know, I, I, th- I, I write about it, uh, so what, I write about it in the afterwards. It's uh, this Palestinian guy that I met, and, and he was uh, selling uh, archaeological uh, findings, that he, uh, and uh, he has this coin, with, it was written with the temple in Jerusalem. 
He showed it to me because this was his most precious thing in his collection. Because, you know, what people who are buying these things are usually Jews. So uh, he's looking for this kind of uh, findings. And at the time, it was, it was around there was this, uh, one of these Al-Aqsa uh, events, you know, when the big, big uh, the conflict around Al-Aqsa and, uh, and the Palestinian common, one of the Palestinian common standing is that the temple didn't exist or didn't exist this uh, place. And I asked him, okay, what do you say as a Palestinian? This, for me, it seemed like a contradiction. For one hand, you're supposed to say as a Palestinian, this, this, you know, this uh, temple didn't exist. On the other hand, you show me this uh, coin. So what do you... I didn't, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't fight with him. I just wanted to say to... Uh, I argue with him. I wanted to say what he's going to say about it. And he said, there was a temple in Jerusalem... It's written on the coin. So there was a temple in Jerusalem. But now Al-Aqsa is there. It doesn't matter <laughs> what was there before. And uh, for me, it was an amazing answer. So simple, you know, so simple and uh, and so, you know, honest. And uh, like, okay, what's... And, and also to be present well, you know, how people are so fighting about the past so much. Like past, the past will help us solve the conflict. And uh, but but and, and instead of looking uh, forward or looking at at present time, and it's very you know uh, typical to to Israelis to look four thousand years ag- you know backwards or maybe two thousand years fo- forward. Say when the Messiah will come, when one day. But not even not not just religious people. You know you you hear it a lot. It says one day. It will be solved, but it won't be in our time. We say that, that it, will so, it will be solved, it's for sure, because there's no, you see, you don't know any conflict in the history that wasn't solved. Somehow, all conflict, you know, usually it's very brutal, but conflicts are solved. Somebody is winning, somebody is disappearing, something, you know, is being extinct. So something happens and there's no, you, you don't have still a conflict that uh, for that from from uh, from two thousand years ago that wasn't solved. So it will be solved. So it's easy to say one day it will be solved. But how? Let's do it now. There is like something kind of defeatist to that to this idea that it's not going to happen during your lifetime. Do you feel that that is mm-hmm. kind of a, a the common sentiment among Israelis? Yeah, especially in the last twenty years. You know, in the, in the nineties. When uh, Oslo, you know, Oslo agreements and Rabin uh, was alive, then it was suddenly uh, time was, uh, it seems that it's going to happen, that it's going to be solved. It's, it seems like it's going to end and people were full of hopes. And also I remember when I was a child, there was always, you know, this hope for peace and songs about peace. No matter what politicians did or, <laughs> but, but there was this hope at least. People were talking about peace. Now nobody is speaking about peace anymore. And to tell you the truth, it's not that I have uh, any idea how to solve it. I know it's it's very, very, com- it's mu- maybe much more complicated than, uh, it's even more complicated from the inside than from the outside. It's not like, even though, you know, I am, uh, I'm, I consider myself uh, from the peace, um, part of the peace movement, I consider myself from the left, but still, and I have, you know, I'm ready for many solutions, open for many solutions. 
when they if they they're not involved uh, violence. But even me, I don't see how you know. It's not like in the past I had this. I thought I was very <clears throat> convinced. You know what should be done. Now I'm not so convinced. What should be done? It's not not even what will be done, but what is uh, what is the right thing to do? It's, it become became more and more complicated. Uh, of course, like you know, like a disease. If you don't, if you don't go to the doctor and you just you know neglect a disease, and it's just becomes worse. Treating the symptoms versus the, the underlying yeah. cause. Yeah. You distill a lot of this really nicely on this in this page yeah. right here where two of the main characters are talking to each other and it's it's done in a, a fairly, you know, lighthearted, jokey manner and they're they're having a conversation around um, who dug yeah. here first, whose tunnel it is. You've got the the protagonist, the Israeli character, you've got a Palestinian character, and it's very much it's a distillation, right? It's a distillation of the exact argument that we were talking about, yeah. about who was here first and therefore who has the right to this land and the use, again, of these archaeological artifacts to justify that I was here first, but I was here first 4,000 years ago. Yeah. Who was here first? Like children <laughs> like fighting. Uh, yes, this is, I think, this is uh, like the, the core of the book, this, uh, of my, of my, uh, this frame. This small dialogue that represents, for me, all the conflict in a nutshell. From from where do you start counting? And and it's something that you know that that you do do in a, a humorous manner that you are poking fun of to some degree. But it's obvious obviously it's very serious and it's impacting a lot of lives and a, and a lot of people are dying. How, how does something like that go over in in Israel when you know when it is a little bit of a kind of a satire of the of this very serious situation? Uh, well, Israelis have uh, humor, <laughs> dark humor and satire is really, uh, you know, it uh, goes here very well. It's not, I don't think of the thing that, uh, there are very few things that you are not supposed to laugh about. I think uh, you will probably find here the most dark Holocaust jokes in the world. People will easily tell each other, uh, and uh, and also you know just remember that my uh, uh, my audience, the people who read comics, they are more or less like me, so they have my beliefs in the and I think yeah it's I I but there are not so many people who are laughing about the conflict. I uh, I was trying to to yeah to to show the absurdity. The absurdity in the situation. It's not like I'm thinking the conflict is funny. But, uh, but I think to show the absurdity of it is something that, uh, for me, maybe it's a way to cope with it, you know? Maybe it's a way to cope. And also it's a way to look f- at it from the outside and uh, not uh, let myself not to be too serious about it just because maybe if it's not serious, maybe it's solvable. Uh, but it's, it's, it's also a way to look on the world, I think. It's also a way to, to, to look at, uh, at any situation that I... Uh, but about it, I will tell you something that I saw, you know, when I was doing the research, I, uh, I watched a lot of uh, uh, YouTube uh, uh, movies about uh, soldiers, settlers, uh, Palestinians, uh, conflicts uh, in the West Bank. Because now, you know, everybody is shooting everything, you know. Everything uh, is filmed. You have so many uh, people who have their phones and everything is on camera. And I saw this um, uh, film 
uh, about was a, a, a well, yeah, uh, worked for water, uh, a natural one in the West Bank. That it belong a uh, Palestinian used used to uh, used it for for their uh, fields and settlers tried to uh, take control and uh, and a group of uh, and so and then a group of uh, activists Israeli activists Jews came to fight with them in order to uh, not to let them take it take it uh, from the Palestinians it's a natural well it's not belong to, to someone it's belong to you know it's nature so the scene was like this there was this People fighting, a, a young settler, very stereotype one, you know, was uh, how you imagine it. Young one, he was uh, probably 19 or 17. And the woman, an activist woman, about Israeli activist, around 50 or 60, non-mature woman, they were fighting, not yelling each other, really fighting, you know, and... Uh, and on the side sat this uh, Palestinian guy with a with a car, you know, uh, you say trunk for water. But he came to take the water from the well. He was sitting, looking at them fighting and laughing because it was really funny. It was like something in a silent movie, you know. Because imagine a fifty years old woman and seventeen year old settler fighting over a well. So all the situation, which of course was very serious and important, but it still, it was like, like a, yeah, like a funny movie also. So this is what I was, I was trying to, to capture this absurdity, this serious funny thing, this terrible, very terrible and yet funny situation. I hope I agree. I hope that I, you know, I managed to do it. It's a distillation. It's a way to attack something that's maybe too large, too large of an idea to tackle on a book. So if you can find a, a version of it, a miniature of people playing out this conflict on a very personal level, that's something that you can can capture on the page. Yeah, uh, yeah, because it's comics, you know, it's not so serious. It's just drawings. Did the conflict element, is that something that arose out of this archaeological adventure that you were doing which aspect came first did it did it start as a fun adventure story about the ark well i never thought it would be just a fun adventure story because uh, this is just not a story that i that i write i, I when i when i have the idea for an idea for a book uh, which doesn't happen often i have to say i don't have so many good ideas but uh, what I'm trying to see, and this is what I'm trying, why I'm, well, my first I'm, try, I'm, I'm, I'm researching, if, if it has, you know, it has to be something that it will be, first of all, an interesting story for, for a reader, or for, at least for me, like an adventure story, love story, something, treasure hunt. And at the same time, it should be like Velcro. It should also be something, a subject that uh, themes that like great themes can stuck into it, you know, it should bring you with it, like these things that I want to deal with. And so it wasn't like I was telling them, yeah, now I want to deal with a conflict. I was looking for a story, 
when I got the idea, I was looking into the idea and then I found out that it might be yeah, interesting for uh, has some subject that might be more more like wider. And then as much as I learned, I also understood how political it is. And, uh, and then you know so, and I said, okay, this is, this is going to be interesting. To look into this conflict, but from this point, this po- from this point of view, from the point of view of the looking for the you know for the answers in the past, or or how how uh, yet yeah, refer to how uh, how the past is still, which is something that I really believe in. That uh, it's not not just about Israel, but everything. How the past, even the the long you know the far past, is still exist and is still influence influences our, our our daily life each of us you know for me it's fascinating you know I uh, to, to think to, to think how it's you know be because it's, people have such a, a short memory and uh, it's like everything ha- started today or everything started when the internet was invented or something like this but no you know things has very deep roots and the roots are still has, has still a very powerful influence. And, and this is also, you know, in the property uh, is also about about this. But then I went 80 years back, you know, in my last, in my previous graphic novel. I went back 80 years and now I went 4,000 years back. And uh, yeah, maybe next time it will be the dinosaurs or the Big Bang. Exit wounds very much dealing directly with the conflict. Um, the property, as, as you said, to a certain extent was, and certainly, you know, insofar as it's it's tied to the, the Holocaust. You know, as you said, you don't choose your culture. Is it just part of making art in the place that you're making art that these sorts mm-hmm. of things are invariably going to be a part of the work that you make? Yeah, it's uh, this is also always, you know, always a question. What Do you consider yourself an Israeli artist and uh, why? And uh, it was it was uh, actually a, a big question for me in the in the beginning of my career because I was because there, there wasn't you know there wasn't a comic scene or comics tradition uh, in Israel when I started working and I was uh, I, my biggest influence weren't Israelis uh, Israeli artists by, or Israeli comics by influences more European and American comics. And then I was started publishing, I was self-publishing my work in English, and I got there were a lot of uh, criticism about it in Israel. The, that I chose me, and we had a group of artists, and we uh, called Actus, and we used to uh, publish our work in English and distribute it uh, around the world, and uh, and we got a lot of criticism about it that we decided to to uh, to publish in English and not in Hebrew. And they said, oh, "Well, you are not. You don't. You are not an Israeli artist if you do it." And they say, "I'm an Israeli artist because I'm an Israeli." And anyway, anything that I do is Israeli. Thematically, it almost could have been a sort of a, a young adult book, or it almost, you know, it could have been sort of a yeah. a, a more a direct adventure book. I, I know you did that book for Tune Books a, a while back. Were you considering, you know, potentially targeting something like this at at younger readers, or was it clear who? you were writing for from the beginning? Well, I don't mind who's reading my books. And I think what, what what's nice about comics, I found out about comics, that it's not divided so much to age groups like uh, like literature. Because you can find uh, adults reading uh, Superman and Tintin and enjoy it, you know, not enjoying it like uh, nostalgia, 
nostalgic way. You just enjoy it. Or manga. And you can find a young... Actually, I was surprised, but uh, this, that I had also some most... I had some uh, very young, quite young audience. I, I got uh, ma- uh, emails from uh, kids who are 10 or 9 who read my book. My, uh, my uh, nephew... Was uh, actually he was uh, he's he uh, the character of a doctor is based on him. He is, uh, you know he's carrying the book in uh, his uh, backpack to every day to school and he's showing people around that he's a guy. He's a, but he he read the book several times. So and he understood maybe differently. You know he didn't understand everything that I put into the book, but uh, but. I think it's always like this. You write a book and people read it and they read it on all kinds of level or on kind of, uh, it when it's, it's connect, they connect to it in, uh, maybe to things that you didn't think about. This is a magic of, of art. You do something and then it, somebody else and, uh, interpret it, interpret it and it's, it's fine. It's even interesting here. I actually spoke to you around the time that Exit Wounds came out. You know, that story specifically is, is, is based on an actual news event and you were drawing parallels to, and I know that Joe Sacco was kind of an early champion of, of that book as well. Was that more sort of direct comics journalism, something that you ever tried your hand at? I, I tried it once. Around 2009, I wrote this piece about the Gaza, one of the Gaza wars. Uh, you can still find it online. And it was uh, because I was, uh, I was asked by a commissioned by a French publisher uh, for an anthology about uh, crimes, uh, war zones. And, uh, and I wasn't, and I said, no, I'm not so interested because I like I have to write fiction. I don't like it's, it's, it's a story that I have to write. But then I, I I was living in England at the time. I came home for Israel to for Israel to, to for a visit, and the Gaza war broke up. It was terrible, and then I said, and then I said to myself, maybe it's you no, know, maybe it's irresponsible not to not to take this uh, project because I had this opportunity to 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 show it from my point of view or from Israel point of view. And I asked this journalist, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a very brave person, but I have this friend who's a journalist who's very, you know, he's, he has no fear. He went to the most scary places in the world. In, in Israel, he interviewed the most frightening terrorists and, um, uh, and asked him to, to, to take me to a journey to the south of Israel. And of course, we couldn't go to Gaza, but we went uh, to the area around it and we talked spoke with people and people who were living in uh, these small villages, poor, very poor people who have al- always, anyway, had hard lives and uh, they are bombed now from Gaza. I don't, they don't care about the conflict. They just care that the kids can go to school and then, then and, uh, and, uh, and I did a piece about, and we did together, we wrote these comics about, uh, about the situation and, it was interesting, especially it was inter- interesting to go with this journalist to see how he uh, is, how he's interviewing people. I learned a lot from him. But I don't like this piece so much. It's okay, but I don't feel comfortable with it so much. I don't feel it's comfortable with it like with fiction. I think in fiction I'm more free to express myself. I don't feel any obligation, not to the truth. I have obligation to the truth, but I... I I uh, 
I don't, I don't have to hide anything because it's not me. For example, if I have some terrible racist thoughts, uh, th uh, thoughts that I hide from the world, I can put it into one of uh, that I have. I can put it into one of the characters, and it's not me, you know, it's him, or the opposite. I can say anything that I want because it's not me; it's just one of the characters, and uh, and so it's I can I can you know I can uh, base my uh, one of on uh, the character of somebody that I know and tell what I really think about it to him or her, and he he she won't recognize herself in uh, in the character. So I you know it's I have just more freedom, and it's more fun because. Uh, Yeah, sometimes reality is not enough. Uh, you have to, to exaggerate reality in order to, to, reality, uh, to be accurate. No, sometimes reality is not accurate enough. Sometimes what you, you have to add to it to, to feel that, yeah, this is exactly what you wanted to say, what you wanted to show, or what you think about the situation. I love to read comic journalism. I'm not against it. Or I love it. But for me, fiction is... is It's more, yeah, it's, not for, it's more for me. There's a little bit of you in all the characters, regardless of <laughs> how good or bad yeah. they might be. Yeah, me, other people, you know, and uh, you know, it's not only about uh, politics, the book. The book is also about motherhood, for me, yeah, at least. It's about motherhood, also about, uh, about the relationship between the brothers, uh, between uh, the, father and, uh, the father and his uh, children. Uh, friends, you know, there's two friends, the father and his uh, rivals, the rivals, the bad men in the, in the, uh, of, the, of the book, that uh, they were friends and then they became, became enemies. So it's, it's many things that, yeah, I take, uh, I, I, I steal a lot from life and combine it into something that tells what I want to say, what I want to tell, how I see the world. <laughs> 